Hey everyone, and welcome to another one of Onletica's customer chats. Um, we're live, and today I'm delighted to be joined by um, Justin Levy, um, Director of, of Social and Influence Marketing at Demandbase, previously at Citrix and ServiceNow. Um, he's our uh, guest today, and wonderfully um, uh, honored and excited to be joined by my uh, colleague, Ashley Zekman, uh, VP of Strategy for Onlytica, um, who's recently joined the company. So uh, fantastic to have you both uh, talking about influencer marketing. Thank you for having me. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, amazing. So well, what I love about this is that you're you know, in marketing, you're know, Justin, and we're talking about influence marketing. And so I'd love to just kick off by asking you, you know, what got you into influence marketing? I imagine when you grew up uh, as, a, as a young boy, you weren't dreaming about influence marketing, you know, as any kind of B2B professional. So um, we'd love to hear more about, uh, about you and what got you into this industry. Yeah, so about 12 years ago or so, 12, 13 years ago, uh, Chris Brogan, for those that know him, and I uh, launched a social media agency, one of the initial agencies kind of in the country. And when we launched that, we started to have brands, you know, we worked with a lot of Fortune 500 brands or brands kind of in Fortune 1000. And you kind of start to stumble into influencer marketing, right? It really wasn't what it is now with kind of very defined lanes and, and B2C, B2B and things like that, that I know we want to talk about. But um, we started to work with brands that had requests to, uh, you know, reach out to and uh, work with very different folks, right? What we would now call influencers. And so, you know, one example was we were working with Sony and they had, you know, their new TV and their new Blu-ray and surround sound and, uh, and uh, ebook, you know, like their Kindle competitor um, and some things like that. And they really wanted to have people review them. Uh, kind of use them and review them. So they came to us and uh, we worked with them to define the the individuals that would be most influential. Well, that was kind of interest, interesting and easy, right? So who's the person that wants the biggest, newest, fun toy? It's usually the male of the household. So we went and looked at and found the top five to eight most influential dads that we could find. Um, one happened to be a good friend of mine and he knew some people, but we built a experiential um, program. So it was things like Sony shipped the TV, the surround sound system and the Blu-ray. And then we gave them gift cards to Blockbuster, which now that makes me date myself, but um, <laughs> to go buy, you know, popcorn and a movie and, and things of that nature so that they could experience what the, the full, you know, Sony TV with the surround sound and everything was like. And then, you know, we hope that they created content around it and shared their thoughts on their blog and on Twitter and, and what have you. But then we took it a step further and they met with the product teams so that they could provide the feedback directly to Sony on what they liked and didn't like about the products. We also uh, had um, a camcorder and a uh, 
one of their point and shoot cameras at the time that was shipped to them. And so we had it done around uh, Father's Day. So they used both devices to create content around Father's Day and what it meant to them. And one of my friends happened to create a video around the three generations of his family, you know, his dad, his son and him. And it was beautiful content that, you know, I'm sure he still has, but it was uh, done with the can the Sony devices. Um, so that was one thing we had worked on. We also worked on with AMD. Uh, they wanted to do a pop-up at South by Southwest Interactive. And it was kind of on the fly because AMD is based in Austin. And they were a client that we were working with uh, some other projects on. And it was a last minute up ask of, can you get your different friends, uh, be it to us, to like just do stuff with us. Like we'll come run over real quick with our camera or what have you, and we'll record something. And so we went and found, you know, some of the bigger names that we had relationships with just to kind of bounce out and do something with. And I'd say one more example was Molson Coors that, that we were working with. And they were producing a spot around uh, DUI. And so they really wanted to uh, have a webinar and some additional pieces uh, hooked on to that. So uh, once again, we went out and worked with uh, individuals that had broader reach within you know, Twitter and, and what have you to come and share their experiences and just be part of that, like try to drive traffic and registrations to that so that you know, Molson could get their viewpoint and their message out. So, oh, go ahead, Tim. Sorry. Yeah, go for it, Ashley. I was going to say so much has changed since the blockbuster days, right? And I know oh, when, we first, when we first met Justin, I'd been reaching out to you as an influencer, right? And now you're in this, this influencer position. And I think it's just, again, even in digital years, that's like 100 years ago, right? And what do you how do you think it's really evolved since since you were doing things you know with sony and to what you're doing now and even as an influencer kind of what you've learned along the journey i think over time we've started to see really the defined uh lanes if you want to call them that between b2c and b2b right so what we saw evolve over the past number of years, call it the past decade or, or what have you, is, you know, there was that kind of term that came around of the mommy bloggers and things like that. And whether you believe in that or not, that's that's a separate conversation. But brands really saw that they had these influential sets of uh, women who they could outreach to with their products. And usually it was something around home products, whether that uh, was cookware or, you know, various food products or, um, you know, personal products or what have you, they would reach out to them. So mommy bloggers in a way got both a good name and a bad name, but that was really kind of B2C, right? And that was kind of who we worked with back then too, were kind of B2C. But at that time, it was just seen as influencers, it, as uh, this whole kind of this broad term. Now, I think we see B2B influencers separately. And so when you work with B2B influencers, they're not 
also B2C, or I, you know, maybe there is a small subset that are, but typically they're kind of in their own lane of B2B influencer marketing. Yeah, no, th- yeah, I think I think you're completely right, and and what we see is that the B2B influencers are focused on thought leadership rather than specifically trying to sell products. But do do you agree with that? Because what what you were talking about with the experiential marketing with Sony, there's there are some B2B influencers that would unbox products and and talk about whether they like them or not. Do you see that as a the experiential marketing as a big part of the B2B play, or do you feel like it's much more thought leadership focused? I do think it's thought leadership focused, uh, but you can do, if you're creative, you can do unboxing type plays, right? You know, like there's nothing that stops a B2B brand um, like us or, or like anyone else from sending swag to, you know, a box of swag to an influencer and with the hope or the intent that they'll unbox it and record it and share it or wear it or, you know, what have you to drive more brand awareness. But I do think that the main part, you know, 90% or whatever that's that number would be is to drive thought leadership and participate with brands in thought leadership. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, if you are going to send something to be unboxed, right, it has to be part of a larger play. It can't just be about that one thing, like everything really needs to be connected. Right. And if it's, you know, if you are sending something, make it something exciting, make it something fun, like maybe it's a pie and not a new, you know, piece of hardware, right? Just something that really kind of helps connect with the overall theme of your program and um, gets people excited to participate as influencers and then watch as audience members, right? Just to see how it all unfolds. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that somewhat when it's done really excellently, you can do something that's a a general unboxing, right? Okay, here's the box of swag or whatever from us. And that includes a hoodie and this, that, whatever, you know, the variety of things, you know, but that can be table stakes. And, you know, when you want to go to the next level with your influencer, say if that was your introduction to them, almost, you know, the first time you're working with them or you're building a a longer term relationship with them, you can take it steps further down the road as you learn more about them and, and you develop that relationship. So, Maybe, and Ashley, you and I have talked about this before, maybe it's around their birthday or maybe it's around uh, something that's non-brand related, but the brand pays for. So, you know, nowadays, because everyone's, you know, work from home for the most part, we've seen many brands just amongst their employees that do that things that were like experiences like wine, like happy hours over Zoom or you know, cooking experiences. We did one as our holiday party, for example. There was no reason why you couldn't do that with your influencers. Just pay for it as a brand, but it's not anything that's like, here, wear our stuff. Um, So I think that there's opportunities there. And then as you learn, like I said, more about the influencers, maybe you learn that someone uh, enjoys running, 
Um, so a mutual friend that we have and that you used to work for, uh, Lee Odin, he is crazy and likes to run in the snow in Minneapolis. But you, once you know that about him, maybe you can send him uh, socks, you know, um, wool socks, for example, or things that are to what he likes to do, if you know that. But maybe, you know, someone else uh, enjoys the beach or what have you, and so you can appeal to that. So I think that there are brand, the typical brand things that you can do, but ways that you can make it personalized down the road with those influencers. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying there. And obviously, it's about personalizing the experience and getting that human connection. And what I've observed with the industry is that um, you have influencer marketing in your job title, yeah. uh, which is amazing. And, and we love that. Actually, not not many people compared to the to the to the broader people in marketing have influence marketing in their job titles. So I, what I've observed is that people whose full-time role is to do influence marketing have the time to create these personal experiences. And the people that really want to do influence marketing, but it's like 5% of their role, you know, they, they just can't compete with those personal experiences. But I think your point is, is amazing. Uh, and, and I think it's just, it, 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 we're just going to see more evolution into those personal experiences, the more impact that you see the influencers are making. So I just wanted to add that because I, I, I think you're right. I think not many people can actually you know, have the headspace to be able to do that. Um, one question that I really want to ask you was, you, you've worked for Citrix and ServiceNow and now DemandBase. How are or how have influencers been perceived internally and how has that changed over the years? Obviously, influence is an ambiguous term. What did senior management think of the word influencers? How did the different organization like view them you know, yeah, from, so, in the last kind of seven or eight years? Yeah, and it's a good question. I think initially, uh, because I know this has evolved at, at several companies, but initially from what I saw at those companies and at others is that quote unquote influencers have been seen as media or analysts, right? Because in it's it, no surprise and it's nothing wrong with that because analysts and media are the ones that you are trying to influence, whether it's to you know, cover your brand when you have launches or, you know, when you want to put your senior management up for an interview or, or things of that nature. Analysts, you know, you want them to cover your brand in a positive way. So it's no surprise that every brand might consider them influencers. Back when, when I was at Citrix, things have evolved there now. When I was at Citrix, they considered uh, one of their programs that I know still in play now was uh, something called their CTP program, uh, which is their technology uh, professionals program. And what it is, is it's a small uh, group of people that they actually have to apply to the program. There's a whole kind of way that that, that group is chosen. It's a very small group yearly uh, and they were run by a or managed by a separate person, a person in a separate team in the company. And really, what that was is was an opportunity to have private time with some of the senior executives, 
have you know uh, access to say betas of product before it went live and to provide feedback directly to the teams and a whole host of other things. I'm not doing it by any means justice because, you know, I wasn't directly involved with the program, but, you know, I think that that was uh, some of the initial forays into uh, influ quote unquote influencer marketing there. I know that has, like I said, evolved for them now. Um, and I think that, you know, at ServiceNow, I didn't have a, a big touch on that simply because the team there when I was at ServiceNow, things have changed there as well, but it was broken up into two different uh, pillars. So there was a, a marketing team that was overseen by the CMO and then the comms and design and some other teams that were broken up under the CCO, so the chief communications officer. So they really stood apart. You know, the CMO group was there to try to drive demand, uh, whether it was for the big event or, you know, regular type demand. And obviously on the CCO side, it was around communications and acquisitions and, you know, all the brand design assets and things of that nature. So, on my side, I was on the marketing side, so I was part of the demand generation, uh, you know, side of the responsibilities. Whereas the other social team was really around that kind of driving the story of the brand. Uh, so both have evolved, but uh, because now at ServiceNow it is one combined team, as some changes have been made there. Uh, but I think generally in the industry, we've we've seen. Uh, this evolved even when uh, press and analysts are still considered kind of influencers. And I don't see that changing because it shouldn't change. And that's the same at demand base. You know, how do you, how do you now view, I mean, how does senior management view influence? Is it just integrated as just a key ingredient in terms of your marketing or is there still an educational conversation with senior management? No, it's integrated uh, across our team. So uh, I work on, you know, and our team works on uh, some broader initiatives, um, you know, things that we're, we're really working on, but we have goals that roll all the way up to, to and through senior management uh, with the way that our goal system is set up. And, uh, but we also support other teams uh, when something is coming up that they want support on, uh, you know, it might be in a different form or fashion, you know, a smaller subset or something much longer, uh, larger, uh, but it is, it, we do support other teams throughout the organization, but we do have and have support to do other initiatives that we want to do. Great. I love Thank that. You. It's like, yep. Which things are integrated and which things are standalone, right? Because the, there's room for both. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So Justin, I want to play a rapid fire round with you. I hope you're ready. Um, so when the three of us started in influencer marketing, there wasn't a playbook, right? Yeah. And in some ways there's still, we're all still working on building it together, right? Um, so since you've been you know, doing this for so long and have been an influencer yourself, what do you think are some of the major successes today? And then some of the major challenges, like just that you've noticed over the past few years that you've experienced? Yeah, I think some of the major successes is the, and I this will 
definitively continue this year and, and beyond is starting to build long-term relationships and not just seeing them as transactional, right? So not just paying influencers, you know, building a long-term two-way relationship. Uh, some of the challenges is that people to break into the market are paying influencers. So I think that, you know, I know that your team came out with the first uh, compensation report. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the issues right now, and I, I don't see this changing, is that influencers all charge things differently. You know, they charge for uh, their use of their platforms, their thought leadership, what have you, differently. So for brands to not understand the metrics that they want to measure, that can wildly throw off how much you're going to spend because X influencer is charging, you know, a certain amount for access to their followers and for their thought leadership. And it could be completely different for someone else. Right. And that's why where we've seen a lot of success is that hybrid model, right? Like what are the things that you pay for? What are the things that are organic as part of building that long-term relationship? Um, and Tyler in the comments mentioned it made him think of the five love languages, right? So it's almost like, knowing what your influencers love languages. Is it money? Is it exposure? Like what are the things that, that make them tick and make them want to collaborate together, yep. right? I also, say... Brito did, did comment um, that he loves your, your quarter zip and that you're looking pretty fly today. I just wanted to make sure that you know. <laughs> yeah, hey Brito, hey Tyler. Uh, please do keep on commenting uh, if you're watching. I'd love to uh, pose some difficult questions for Justin. He's ready to take them. Um, so I guess this this brings us on to measurement. And, you know, the, the, because the industry is evolving at a rapid pace, uh, I guess I've got two questions. First of all, what what is the, what is your, what is your sort of view on how, um, your expectation of the influencer has evolved over the past few years? And then how do you measure success at demand base? Sure. I think that expectation of the influencer is done on the, whether they're paid or not, you know, if they're paid, it's just stipulated in their contract that they are doing X for X payment. You know, it's kind of simple in that way. Um, now, because influencers are used to contracts, whether it's on their paper or or the brands, but um, with someone organically, you can't force them, right? You know, you can have the long term or new relationship with them. You can arm them with as much content and, and exposure as you hope to do, and follow up and and what have you, but at the end of the day, you can only hope and, and incentivize, you know, incentivize them if you have ways or things of that nature. I think on the measurement side, there are a few different ways. Everyone is uh, going to want to measure reach. I don't measure impressions because I do not agree with that measurement uh, for anything related to social or um, influencer marketing. It's, for me, a BS metric, but 
um, reach certainly because it's that's what you're doing. You're working with influencers to get to their audience, right? Um, engagement certainly. You want to know, you know, what is the engagement. And I think that breaks out between the brand engagement and the influencers, you know, the engagement on the influencers channel because a channels or blog, whatever that may be, because on the brand side, you know, your hope is that they're driving some traffic back to whatever channels you've provided them on their side. You hope that they're driving engagement on their channels. And then ultimately you should be, uh, driving traffic back to whatever your landing pages, you, you know, whatever that was about. So if you had a product launch, you know, I'm sure you have a product landing page that you're trying to drive people to. If it's around a webinar, trying to drive, you know, leads or, or things like that. Of course, if it's on the demand side, there's a whole nother subset of metrics that come into play through the funnel. But on the paid side, you're probably looking at all those metrics as well. But another one that uh, pops up is cost per engagement because you want to look at one way that you can level set all of those varying costs of what an in different influencers are going to charge is how much did it pay per engagement? Because that is where you may decide to work with that influencer again or negotiate new pricing or things like that because you could find that you did pay a lot but they drove a lot of engagement for you or you could see that you paid a lot and they drove next to nothing for you so it's not worth you know paying them next time yeah and that's where tracking is just so important i think even five six years ago we weren't always using tracked links for everything yep. right and now we're able to see you know which influencers are yes engaging on their own you know engaging their audience on their own channels but which influencers are driving the most traffic back to that landing page? Which ones are driving the most conversions and, and understanding, you know, how to work with different influencers? Like what, you know, which are the ones that, again, drive engagement versus leads versus whatever it might be and kind of starting to map that all out too. Yeah. And I would say the other metric that I uh, realized that I forgot is that in one that we measure is share of voice with our influencers as compared to our competitor set. So if you're in B2B and you're in a certain, you know, area of B2B, naturally you have your competitors, you're probably sharing some subset of influencers because they're reaching out and they're working with, with some of those same influencers. So what is, you have your broader share voice that is, is generally measured uh, through social or and or other channels. But what is your share of voice with those influencers that you're working with against your competitor set? Yeah, no, I, I think those the brand share voice metric is obviously a very a typical metric of, of how a lot of B2B brands work. I love your point about the cost per engagement as a level set metric to basically measure the value across different sets of influence. I think too often, like you said, people get influenced by how the influencers charge their services and they're all different. So you really need one metric that you care about to be able to do that. Otherwise you just don't know how much to pay or whether it's organic. So, it's, so I, lo I, I love the fact that you said that. 
Um, I've got a burning question. Since you're in ABM and account-based experience, I would love to ask you and put you on the spot. What is the best practice influence marketing program that drives ABM success? I know that's a big challenge for a lot of tech brands. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how to connect those two programs, which are quite often siloed in larger organizations. Yeah, so... You know, I would say, well, first of all, we we are up leveling beyond uh, ABM to a broader kind of go to market suite. So demand base is kind of moving beyond uh, just ABM. But when it comes to account based marketing, you know, you want to. So for those that don't know what ABM is, it's to provide, you know, uh, people, you know, prospects with the right content at the right time to your target accounts. So you, when you work with influencers, you hopefully want to try to deliver some of that content, right. Uh, at, at that time in as much as you can, I do think, uh, and it was something that, that you mentioned Tim on a recent podcast that you're on, on social pros, uh, about, um, working with some of your uh, top accounts to also help the delivery of content because the thing that is that is helpful is when you look at metrics and there's a, a thousand of them, you every one of them proves that you know there is too much content in the right now, especially with the pandemic. So too many uh, people are being barraged with too much content. Content is a good thing, too much of it is a bad thing. So with your influencers and with influencer programs, you can try to arm them with the right content to deliver to their audiences at varying stages. So hopefully if done correctly, this one piece of content that you care about they are actually reaching their, you know, reaching their audiences, which have some of your prospects in it uh, at the right time. So you're not sending out a top of funnel piece of content that's really, you know, you're trying to target, say, middle or, or bottom of funnel and your influencers are uh, top of funnel only. Right. You know, hopefully you're you're aligning your influencers with the right content. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And so if the influencers are posting content, generating content where your prospect is part of their audience that has a direct influence, of course. Do you also think that the influencer content needs to be repurposed and and shared through the subject matter experts or the salespeople on the front line, or like, can you, what are your thoughts around that? I a hundred percent agree. So I'll give an example with, you know, something, one of the things that we do at Demandbase. So we have a platform called DBTV. It was the first streaming B2B a platform in the industry uh, that we launched earlier in 2021. And we have three thought leadership shows on there. And one of my uh, responsibilities is that, and part of the influencer program, depend on what campaign we're working on, is to offer this as uh, 
benefit of co-created content to an influencer, right? So one of our shows might be an offer. Do you want to come sit down with our VP of content who I report to for an interview? We'll take that interview, you know, we'll, we'll produce it with our video editors and we'll publish it on DBTV. We take that obviously on the other side, on the other part of my responsibilities, we share it on social, we tag them, they repurpose it, you know, share it on their channels, you know, everything you would hope through social that they're doing to build that relationship. But a lot of times what we've had happen with sales is either they're using that video within, you know, their sales calls or they've reached out to us and asked us for introductions because they're trying to get into those accounts. So we've already developed a relationship uh, with that company or with that influencer. And now they're trying to figure out who on that, who within the company is the right person to talk to. So we've already had this developed relationship that we can go back to and, you know, ask who's the right, you know, VP or, or someone to, for them to talk to. So it, I think it goes both ways, you know, in that they have, they can get pieces of content this year, but they also can come back to us to, you know, ask for introductions and, and additional content. Amazing. Thank you. So I have, I know Tim got to ask two burning questions. So I want to ask one now. It's my turn, I think. Exactly. Um, I'll shut up for 10 minutes. No, I'm teasing. Um, so if you had to give a one piece of advice to people thinking about starting an influencer program, like one thing you wish you would have known or one thing that you found really successful, what, what would be that one or two things that you really want people to kind of walk away with knowing as they're exploring this? Yeah, I think that, uh, and it's my deep belief, I, you know, mentioned it earlier, that you do need, and it takes a lot of work. It is not simple, but you need to focus on long-term relationship development. Um, it is easy to pay people. And some of it, you, you do have to, and, it, and it's only right by, that, by those influencers, right? They, they have large audiences. Part of what they do is speak and write and uh, do, you know, and work with other companies. So, it's, it's right to, you know, to offer them funds to do things, but you really need to work with uh, influencers on developing long-term two-way relationships. So that's not, A, it's not transactional. You can do that. That can be one part of your program, but it's also not just one way. So with your organic influencers or those that you're not paying it, you can't just burn social capital all the time to, hey, you know, you shared this last time. Can you go share this for us now? You have to be willing to also share their content or comment on, on it or have other people within your organization who have the specialty or the, the subject matter expertise go comment on their stuff. So, for example, you know, I might not be the right person to comment on uh a influencer in sales piece piece of content or market and ops because I don't work in market and ops but we have a few amazing people that do so I sometimes will go on into 
one of our influencers LinkedIn posts and tag them. And, you know, and then they can choose to jump into the conversation or not. Uh, but I do believe that, you know, it is, there is a place for paid relationships. You do need them, but you need to focus on two-way long-term relationship development. If, if I was in the comments right now on LinkedIn, I'd be celebrating that answer. I love it. Um, Cause that's the thing that's just missed so often is the building that foundation and those long-term relationships and expecting to get to Z when you haven't, you know, you, you can't go from A to Z, right? You have to take some incremental steps along the way. I love that. I'm going to quote you on that somewhere because I think that was phenomenal. I can see that your and you know, what what we're wearing has has uh, caused a lot of debate because Meg uh, from Splunk said it's a very lovely seafoam green. So hi Meg, I hope you are still watching. Uh, and Ashley and I you know, teamed up with Blue Jumpers, uh, which was a complete coincidence. But we want to do that to show solidarity. Um, <laughs> For us, there's also someone that's appeared as a LinkedIn user for me. It hasn't got their name, but saying, what are your thoughts on the audience's share of voice? An influencer shares uh, encouraging content about a brand, but how does the audience react and respond? Are they feeling positive or negative towards the brand product, etc.? And what topics or phrases are popular within the audience towards the message or brand as a whole? So one, I actually do think that this is called seafoam green from the brand that I got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it. So I actually think she's right um, without looking at the tag that I know, you know, or going to the website. But um, can you read? That was a long. That's a lot. Yeah. It, so, it was a very loaded can question. Can that a bit? It's, to it's talking about the audience's share of voice. So an influencer shares encouraging content about a brand, but how does the audience react and respond? So do you measure the audience's share of voice. I so, guess what they're saying is beyond the influence community. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that would be extremely hard, right? To, so if I'm understanding it correctly, please correct me if I'm wrong. The influencer shares something on our behalf. What is the share voice of the engagement from their audience that, you know, that reacts to it. That is essentially going two degrees of share voice out and that becomes hard. However, I, I do think you can link them. So one, you are measuring, if, if you take it as a metric, you are measuring engagement. So one, you are getting that, you know, that reach of the influencers X, you know, that in the engagement on their post or post is, is Y. But if you're also uh, monitoring the share voice of your influencers versus your competitor set, or even if you just monitor solely your share of voice uh, with your influencers, you will see that go up if they're driving a lot of engagement, right? Because if you had influencers that were sharing, your share of voice might be decent, but if they're driving a lot of engagement around your brand message, that's going to be much higher because there's, there's a higher share of voice. 
Exactly. No, I think I think that's a very good answer. It's a very tough question. I know that you can you can look at share of engagement from influencers, but yeah. ultimately you know, we you can look at audiences, but it's sometimes hard to define. You know, through wider social listening, you can find out whether CMOs or people in marketing or people in technology yeah. talk more about one brand than other. And I think that connecting the dots is very smart. Um, but quite often, people use influencer communities, I think, as a proxy metric and the engagement for the wider audience. It's a really tough question, of course. Uh, actually, do you, I, I didn't mean to hog any more questions. So do you have any any more questions for Justin? So, uh, no, you did not hog the questions. I got to ask everything I wanted to. <laughs> so, um, so Justin, looking out into the future, what do you, do you see anything that's going to pop up in 2022? Are you going to be... You're going to be doing TikTok videos with your sales guys um, or, or, or girls like with, with influencers. Are you going to use social audio, like any other, any other sort of trends that you see coming into 2022 for influence marketing? Well, apparently anything that I do, I have to wear the variety of different colors that I have in my closet of quarter zips. But um, no, I think that, you know, of course, we have certain things in the works um, uh, that that have to stay hidden. Um, but for right now, but, you know, I, I think that we'll see as an industry, it'll be interesting to see where social audio continues to go, you know, because LinkedIn has just introduced their kind of audio events bit. So we have to see kind of how that works and how that might integrate with influencer campaigns. You know, I don't, it's something that I don't know anyone's thought of yet. Um, we haven't, and I don't foresee us getting involved with things like clubhouse um, or Twitter spaces. Um, it's just not relevant to our brand right now. Um, not saying that that won't change, but uh we've started to dabble in TikTok. So, uh, and we've started to talk about how we could integrate influencers at some point. Um, the first step with that would be to uh, create pr uh, content that then you work with influencers that are uh, influential within TikTok uh, to share out that content, right? And uh, if, if you work within TikTok, you know, if you're creating content, especially if you're on the B2B side, uh, you have to make sure that that content is not the same content that you're posting on your other channels, right? You want it to be fun and you want it to be relevant to that network and to what that audience is like. And then you'll have a higher likelihood of being able to work with influencers that are, say, pertinent to TikTok, but um, I do think that there, uh, as we grow our program, continue to grow our program, uh, and you, if you look at how the uh, landscape is changing, you have started to see uh, really develop subset of influencers on, say, LinkedIn, uh, especially within B two B. So we've always had the kind of influencers on Twitter you know, kind of across the board, B2B and B2C. But there has become this very developed uh, 
subset of folks that are influential and can drive traffic in uh, engagement that are really positioned all of their kind of time uh, in content into LinkedIn. So um, especially at senior levels, you know, at say the director and above or, you know, VP and above levels within a company. So uh, I think, you know, we do a lot within there and then we'll probably continue to do that. Um, but I, I think that TikTok isn't going anywhere and you're starting to see more B2B brands get involved or already be involved. It's just dependent on the ones that will succeed it, and hopefully we're one of them are the ones that create uh, content that's pertinent in, uh, to that network. Um, and to do that, you have to have people that understand that network on your team. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm sure you will be one of the brands that will succeed. And I know we're uh, I know we're out of time. Uh, the time flies by as ever. Um, but what I love about this interview is that you know, from I think you said 12 or 13 years ago that it started out through delivering wonderful experiences for the influencers and those long-term relationships and you've obviously carried that through over the past 12 or 13 years and stayed stayed true to that and i think you know as we all know it's based upon relationships and and that's why you've been successful in the in the industry so thank you so much for coming on uh on Lenska's customer chats and if anyone's watching wants to see more customer chats then just go to the on resources page and you'll find uh, other interviews that we've done uh, with other customer of ours. So thank you so much for joining. And thank you, Ashley, for, uh, for joining with me. So it's not just uh, me from, from the Onlitica side. Thank you, Tim and Ashley. It's been a, a pleasure, as always. And thank you, everyone, for, uh, for watching. Take care. Chat soon.